Recovery Elevator, episode 201. Uh, I've had many times where I realized it was a problem. I thought I would be able to, to manage it, to control it. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Jeff. He's 27 years old. He's from Quebec City and has been sober since October 1st, 2018. During the interview, he talks about how he accidentally fell into sobriety. Today is Christmas Eve. Tomorrow is Christmas. I want to say Merry Christmas to everybody who is listening right now. And I also want to remind you guys to follow the drink. Overall, we can't think ourselves out of addiction, but in the short term, we can. And I want to say follow the drink. If you get that craving, that urge to drink, follow it in your mind. There's plenty of data behind you. Ask yourself, what happened last time I had the idea that I'm only going to have just one? Did you have just one? Follow that drink. Play the tape forward and ask yourself how you think you're going to feel the next day. Again, follow that drink. Play the tape forward. Keep your eye on the prize. We can do this. And guys, I'm excited to announce in eight days, we'll be launching our third private unsearchable Facebook group. All signups starting January 1st to January 31st will be placed in this new group. And you also have access to the forum, which is located outside of Facebook. If you're needing extra accountability, support, and the feeling of, hey, I'm not alone, then Cafe RE is for you. These groups are capped to ensure intimacy, and there's so much love and encouragement in these groups. For the entire month of January, you can use the promo code 2019 for 75% off the first month. After that, it's just 19 bucks a month. Again, the promo code is 2019 and this is only for January. And if you don't want to wait till 2019 to join Cafe RE, you can sign up at any time and be placed in a group. Okay, let's get started. What we're going to cover today is now that we've quit drinking or working towards that goal, we're going to explore the nutritional value of an alcoholic beverage and see if we're missing anything. We're also going to cover what the calories from alcohol are actually doing to us, and we're going to cover why we get the drunk munchies, and we're going to discuss malnutrition and when alcohol kills the appetite. Okay, let's take a look at the nutritional value of a drink. Alcoholic beverages primarily consist of water, pure alcohol, chemically known as ethanol, and variable amounts of sugar and carbohydrates. Their content of other nutrients, proteins, vitamins, or minerals is usually insignificant, basically nil. Because they provide almost no nutrients, alcoholic beverages are considered empty calories. It's safe to say a Twinkie has more nutritional value than any alcoholic drink, and it's common knowledge that Twinkies are terrible for us. The good news is none of us are lacking any nutritional components by not drinking. Alcohol is still shit. Now let's talk calories for a second. One gram of alcohol contains seven calories, compared to four calories per gram of proteins and carbs, and one gram of fat contains nine calories. Again, those are seven hollow calories because the body can never use them. So let's find out what these calories are doing to us over the long haul. One 12-ounce can of beer is roughly 155 calories, one glass of wine around 125 calories, and one whiskey Coke has about 180. Let's average the three of these drinks and use 153 calories per drink. Let's say we average five daily drinks, which equates to 765 meaningless calories per day. 
This is 5,355 per week. And here's where it gets grim. This is 278,460 extra calories per year. Now, one pound of fat is roughly 3,500 calories. So this is close to 80 pounds of excess garbage weight the body has to deal with in a given year. Another snippet to drive this point home. One pint of beer contains roughly the same amount of calories as a slice of pizza, but it's not even apples to apples because even though the slice of pizza isn't the healthiest option, the pizza still contains some vitamins, minerals, and calories the body can use for energy. A pint of beer, not so much. If we average four pints a day, this is 1,460 slices of pizza per year, and I hope there's at least pineapple on that pizza. I know I just lost some subscribers with that pineapple comment, but I had to make a case for putting pineapple on pizza. The human body is amazing, but it does not digest the calories from alcohol efficiently. What does efficiently burn alcohol? That would be machines, cars, airplanes, motorcycles, generators, you get the point. The metabolism of alcohol is a complex multi-stage process that takes place mostly in the liver and kidneys, not in the intestines, where normal digestion occurs. More significant to the current discussion, alcohol is almost never fully metabolized, but rather excreted as acetic acid because it's a toxin that the body wants to get rid of. When we binge drink, some of this is permanently deposited in the brain and stored as acetaldehyde. Now let's talk about timing and when these calories are burned. Alcohol temporarily keeps your body from burning fat, explains Dr. Pamela Peake, author of the book The Hunger Fix. The reason is that your body can't store calories from alcohol for later use the way it does with food calories. For example, when we consume something high in calories like a hamburger, the body will say, whoa, this is a lot of calories. This is more than I can handle at this moment. I'll save some of these calories for later. The body can't do this with alcohol. So when you drink, your metabolic system must stop what it's doing, like say burning off calories from your last meal, to get rid of the booze. Drinking presses pause on your metabolism, shoves away the other calories, and says, break me down first. The result is that whatever you recently ate gets stored as fat. What's worse, research has uncovered that alcohol especially decreases fat burn in the belly. That's why you never hear about beer hips. There was a phase of my drinking and my progression with my addiction where Taco Bell always seemed like a solid option right around 2 a.m., and here's why. Alcohol impairs inhibitory control, which leads people to eat more. There is evidence that alcohol can influence hormones tied to feeling full. For example, alcohol may inhibit the effects of leptin, a hormone that suppresses appetite, and other hormones that inhibit food intake. According to one study, neurons in the brain that are generally activated by actual starvation, causing an intense feeling of hunger, can be stimulated by alcohol. Further along with the progression of my addiction, I also encountered a phase where the appetite just seemed to exist. So let's talk about decreased appetite and malnutrition. Stay with me for a second. Over time, chronic alcohol abuse and alcoholism can take a serious toll on a person's appetite and nutrition levels. Alcohol inhibits the breakdown of nutrients into usable molecules by decreasing secretion of digestive enzymes from the pancreas. Alcohol impairs nutrient absorption by damaging the cells lining the stomach and intestines and disabling transport of some nutrients into the blood. In addition, nutritional deficiencies themselves may lead to further absorption problems. 
For example, folate deficiency alters the cells lining the small intestines, which in turn impairs absorption of water and nutrients, including glucose and sodium. The NIAAA reports, even if nutrients are digested and absorbed, alcohol can prevent them from being fully utilized by altering their transport, storage, and excretion. Many alcoholics are malnourished, either because they ingest too little of the essential nutrients, this would be carbohydrates, proteins, and vitamins, or because alcohol and its metabolism prevent the body from properly absorbing, digesting, and using those nutrients. After a while, the body, instead of working overdrive to properly digest what we consume, it's the off switch on the appetite. This is exactly what I experienced after living in Spain for about one year while I owned the bar. I remember basically having to force feed myself breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It was brutal. Okay, enough out of me, and now let's hear from Jeff. Jeff, how are you? Good, how about you? Yeah, Jeff, I'm doing great. Let's get right into this. How long have you been sober? I've been sober for 38 days uh, today, so starting on October 1st. Actually, my initial goal was just to do a 30-day challenge, and I decided to keep going. Oh, I'm excited to talk more about that. And listeners, Jeff emailed me about three weeks ago about how he made a complete transformation with only about three days of how he viewed alcohol. And so I'm excited to learn more about that. But Jeff, before we get any further, give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, how old you are, do you have a family, and what do you like to do for fun? Right. Well, I'm 27 years old. I'm from Quebec City, so I'm French-Canadian. If I got an accent, that's, that's the reason why. I work at a comp- uh, corporation, but I also have a digital marketing business on the side. So my goal is to quit my corporate job in six weeks and then be full-time in my business. Uh, what I like to do for fun, uh, many things. I got a dog. I do a lot of sports, do a lot of reading. So yeah, that's pretty much it. I, I like to travel a lot, going to conferences and stuff like that. What kind of dog do you have and what's his name? A lab. Whiskey. <laughs> oh, okay, the plot thickens. Whiskey. All, All right. right. A uh, reminder uh, forever. <laughs> Love it. And uh, yeah, give listeners a little background about your drinking. You're 27 years old, perhaps when you mm-hmm. started. When did it become a problem? When did your drinking become problematic? And did you ever try to put any rules into place? When did you first start to quit? I'm excited to learn more about your journey, Jeff. Right. I started fairly young. I think the, my first drink I had it when I was 13 years old. Never really had any control over my drinking. I almost died when I was actually 13 years old, like my fifth time of drinking because of social pressure. Didn't know how to, was kind of introverted, shy when I was young, in, insecure. So all those things throughout the years, actually my biggest problem was with weed i smoke a lot of weed that's that's that was my uh, drug of choice that i tried to quit over and over and over yeah basically eventually every time i was trying to quit weed every time i would go uh, on a good streak without weed i would start to drink more so the past the past three months actually this summer uh, july uh, august and september i did super good uh, not smoking too much. I smoke like once or twice a month. Now I don't smoke anymore, but back then I smoked a little bit. But then I started drinking more and more and more. And over here in Quebec, it's kind of a cultural thing, uh, which is fine. Like we drink in family. It's no big deal. I mean, many places are like that, but Quebec is, is a little more than what I, what I saw when I was in, in the States. 
So I'm a former athlete. I used to I used to actually get away from toxic environments all the time. Like I would I would start self sabotage a lot, and then uh, I was lucky because I would just go to a new school because of baseball. So I would I would change environment, but every time I went back to the same pattern, like two months after, two months later of of drinking, of smoking, of actually doing other drugs as well. So that's that's pretty much my background. I realized it was a problem. Uh, I've had many times where I realized it was a problem, but I thought I would be able to to manage it, to control it, and in the last weeks prior to to quitting, I realized it was it was ch- just too big of a problem. I just, I mean, I've 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 drank and, and drove many times. I'm definitely not proud of saying that, but that's a fact. So eventually, you just gotta you just gotta realize that enough is enough, and yeah, stop. Now, Jeff, was the uh, was there a rock bottom moment with with alcohol, or did you realize that? Look, I want to quit marijuana. In order to do that, I need to quit the alcohol. Right, right, definitely. I mean, I've had many. I, I don't identify with a specific one. Definitely the last September 30th, so the the day right before, and three days before that, even uh, those two days, I'm always gonna going to remember. I mean, the Friday, I was supposed to go to uh, the bar and have like two or three beers and go home and do some work. I ended up staying there for like, I think 10 hours, had probably 20 drinks. I'm not sure how many. And then I drove home. So that was a big wake-up call. Prior to that, over the years, I mean, I've had many wake-up calls. But uh, what I realized and what I spoke uh, to you about in my email was how we all realize consciously that we have this problem, but until the subconscious really realize it, it's it's tough to do. It's tough to it's tough to quit basically, because we we just drain. For me, what I think is that we we drain all the willpower that we have. We go on streaks. That's what I see a lot of people do. We go on streaks five, six, seven, sometimes ten days without it, but then because we have this association of alcohol being pleasurable we always go back to it so that's what i did in the first few days when i when i quit i made sure to really try to basically rewire my brain rewire my subconscious to really have this to actually like uh, analyze my relationship with alcohol and what it was costing me and because of that i i simply changed my neural association with with this poison and within a couple of days, it was like I didn't have any any cravings. It's been it's been fairly easy to be honest. Yeah, Jeff. And what you're talking about is the cognitive dissonance. That's the gap right. between the conscious mind and the unconscious mind. Bridging that gap is extremely difficult to do. In fact, this right. Naked Mind by Annie Grace is mm-hmm. a fantastic uh, book out there on how to do it. Alan Carr, the Easy Way to Stop Drinking, as well. Same in that portfolio. Talk to us about how you did it because there were so many times I woke up in the morning at similar events like you. I only, I only planned to go out for a couple drinks. Oh, holy buckets. Now it's 20 drinks later and I drove home. I get it. Don't feel bad about saying that. You, me, and every other interviewee almost has gone through the exact same thing. But when we wake up, we say, I'm done with alcohol for the rest of my life. 
And then it's the next day or even maybe the same day we're drinking again and we're baffled. We say, holy crap, what happened? I made a decision this morning to never drink alcohol again. So it's hard to make that connection from the conscious, the unconscious mind. It sounds like you have successfully done it. And when we successfully do it, it kind of takes the difficulty out of the journey, which sounds like you've done. Talk to us a little bit more how you did it. Right. Well, the day, the, the Sunday night, on the spot, I decided I was going to do a 30-day challenge. It was Sunday afternoon. I was doing some work for my business, and then uh, I started drinking. I was supposed to have just a couple drinks. Just to put you in perspective, I was in my mom's basement working on my business, quote-unquote business, and then I went to the liquor, the, the, the gas station, got a six-pack, drank it all, found another two beers in the fridge, drank those two as well. Now it was nine o'clock, was getting up early the next morning. So I decided to go to my bedroom and grab my keys and actually go back to the gas station and get another six pack. And that night, the last two, three beers, usually I wouldn't have drank them, but I knew that I needed to make a statement. I, I knew I needed to feel the pain in the morning the day after. So I drank them all, and like the last one hour, two hours, I was just watching videos on YouTube on how uh, alcohol destroys lives. And then the next mor morning, I, I woke up, I felt depressed, and I wanted to do this 30-day challenge. I didn't plan on quitting forever. I just wanted to do this 30-day challenge, and I knew I wouldn't be able to do it on willpower alone. So I needed to do something else. Driving to my to my girlfriend's uh, apartment that night, in my car, I decided to record a video of myself, uh, which was pretty emotional, to be honest, and um, lasted like 35 minutes of me just going over all my whys, all, all the reasons why I wanted to quit, all the things that I've missed in the past, the opportunities, relationships, experience that I've missed because I had this destructive habit and then all the things that I will keep, keep missing if I, if I keep doing that. Basically, I, I compare myself, I project myself. What will my life look like in 20 years if I stop this? If I just take control and build my business and change my habits and all that. And then I did the opposite. What, what will my life look like uh, if I don't do that, and to be honest, it's uh, to be honest with you, Paul, it's super painful to do. It's super, super painful. You feel depressed, but that's how like you you feel in the gut. You you cry. You get emotional. I was alone in my car, just talking, just talking to my phone. But yeah, you gotta. I think you have to you have to feel emotionally, just not just rationally, not just logically of yo, I'm done with this. You have to make sure that it hits you in the guts, it hits you in the heart. And that's basically what I did. Then then the following two, three days, like the Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, I was on YouTube a lot, just looking at videos of literally, like I made it worse. Uh, I'm a fairly successful person in my career, like most of us drinkers are. Mm -hmm. um, and... I made it worse. I literally watch videos of homeless people who messed up their life really badly of like what alcohol truly does to your body, all those things. I spend a lot of time 
on uh, YouTube, and then I kept repeating myself. <laughs> I was actually joking with one of my friends. I kept telling him, uh, alcohol destroys lives. And then I kept saying that and watching the videos and keep saying it and keep saying it and watching the videos. Like four or five days after, I was truly disgusted by alcohol. <laughs> like, I, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I did. Yeah, Jeff, thanks for expanding. I've got a couple things to comment. Number one, there was a time in my life when I was also 27 years old living with my parents and I was in my parents and my mom's basement also working on my mobile DJ business while drinking. So we've got, we've got that in common. I was laughing when you said that. And number two, there's a theme that I want to explore a little bit more. And I've heard a couple times with the last 10 interviewees, I feel like the alcoholic drinking is usually done by the unconscious part of the brain. However, like you said, you wanted to drink those remaining three beers. And I think that decision is done by the conscious part of the brain. That's like, look, dude, we're going to feel this pain tomorrow. And I've heard stories about this. I'm sure it's happened to me as well. We're like the conscious part of the brain is like, you know what? We are going to finish all the alcohol in this, but it comes from a different part of the brain. Cause it's like, we need to feel this pain or else we're not going to make any change. So I love what you said there. And I'm going to explore that a little bit more. And, and, and what you said about the videos, going to Dr. Google, just getting the knowledge and on YouTube and the, the affirmations. And I think you, I actually looked at some of the email or the videos that you emailed me. You made a video um, yeah. And that's, I, I love it. And thanks for sharing with me how you did it. And, and so how come it was only going to be 30 days? Oh, another question was, was there a program you followed or was it just like, Hey, my name's Jeff. I'm doing 30 days, my own program. Here we go. Yeah. I was actually following a program from, um, James Swanick, which is, uh, which is just for people trying to, Mm-hmm. to uh it's it's like very light it's not for people that uh, realize they have a big problem it's just for people that are trying to uh, be healthy i guess that's a great uh, way to so describe it it's james swanwick and again he was like an espn analyst and he his program right. is more for like uh like testing the waters type stuff i feel like for people right. who are listening to this podcast have surpassed that point in their journey but again great great program i looked into it a couple of years ago Mm-hmm. And and the fact that the, one of the reasons why I wanted to to do thirty days is just because I didn't think it would be possible to do more. Now I'm not shooting, even though I, I'm. I think it's it's definitely possible to do now. Uh, right now, my goal is just to do another thirty days. I'm I'm doing what I call. I tell all the people around me, hey, I I love my first thirty day no alcohol challenge. I'm doing a second one. So so that was. That's that's what I'm currently doing, and I'm I'm not sure. I'm still trying to figure out my thoughts about drinking in moderation. I know a lot of people have relapsed because they tried it. I actually spoke with a neuroscientist a couple of weeks ago, and he he told me basically he, he uh, described to me the situations where you have to be careful, like you don't want uh, you don't want to drink to release the pain. Uh, drinking to celebrate is a little different than drinking to just release the pain. So, but again, like if I'm, if I'm at a wedding, let's say, and I'm having fun, I feel a little uncomfortable drinking because then I might associate the pleasure of that night with drinking. So, so at the end of the day, like I don't need it. So I'm probably just going to keep going, but I'm, I'm, I think it's easier when you just, takes little steps and like you don't feel like you're missing out as much when you do like 30 day challenges like that 
And you spoke about affirmation. That was one of the key things as well. I put I put a notification on my phone. Uh, every day at 10 a.m. I receive something that says, I am sober and so grateful for all the energy, the opportunities, and uh, the relationships that I get from being sober, uh, and then something else. But then I read it, but I don't just read it. I make sure I feel it. Like I make sure like I'm really grateful for the energy. Like I feel energized. I feel the opportunities around me. I remind myself of the relationships, and it helps a lot. Jeff, we got another thing in common. That's on January 1st, 2010. I walked into a Barnes & Noble in Northgate, Seattle, and I pulled a book off the shelf called Beyond the Influence by Catherine Ketchum. And I had the same goal of only doing 30 days. I hit that 30 days, and I was like, you know what? This is pretty cool. My face was not quite as fat and puffy as it previously was. I lost about, I think, five pounds that first month. And that 30 days turned into two and a half years. And I love what you said. You said, you know what? I might do another 30 days. But to me, this is like a casual conversation back and forth. It's like there's no pressure that you're putting on yourself. Is, is right. that seem about right? Right. 100%. I mean, um, it's more of a decision than having to. And, and it releases all the tension. It releases all the stress. For me, at least, like... I don't have to, to quit. I choose to quit just because I weighted the pros and the cons. And I mean, I, I could if I wanted to, but then I'm looking at all the pros and all the cons of drinking and I'm like, nah, I'm, it's so much better not to. So, so that's what I'm doing. And I think, I think the neuroassociation work that I did in in the first few days of my challenge of my challenge allows me to to look at it that way because I think that if I didn't do that and I tried to uh, basically do what I just said of like choosing not having to the alcoholic mind will rationalize itself that yes there's more more pros than cons but now that I've, I've gone through the naked mind and your podcast and rewire my brain then there's really no reason because uh, the subconscious understands that it's it's not good yeah jeff and listeners before we hit record Jeff's mentioning how he used to be a phenomenal pitcher, baseball player. He's about six feet, five inches. So I'm going to make this analogy. Jeff, you just slow pitched that over the plate for a recovery podcast host is you, you just pretty much summed up one of the biggest themes, you know, accountability. We can't do this alone, but probably the top three biggest themes of the podcast is the opportunity versus sacrifice. But the way you said it was a little different. You said, I choose to, I don't have to. And yeah. if we're embarking in sobriety with the, ah, I have to stay sober. I have to go to three meetings a week and meet with my sponsor on Tuesday and Thursday at 6 p.m. at Wild Joe's Coffee Shop. That often is not sustainable. But when we choose to, when we choose to with a better life, that's when we see the sparklers fly. That's when we see people going to Peru, hiking the Inca Trail, Machu Picchu, all that jazz. Comment more upon that. You are choosing this new life without alcohol, not because you have to, because you choose to. I love how you said it. Comment a little bit more on that, please. Hmm. Right. Well, another thing that um, something that I've learned from James Swanick in his 30 day no alcohol challenge is um, make sure that you don't just stay home in early sobriety. Like don't deprive yourself of, of pleasures because 
the brain is going to associate not drinking with not having fun. Um, but at the same time, what I'm about to say has to be done with someone you trust, someone that you know who's going to have your back. For me, it was my, my girlfriend. Uh, as soon as I told her that I was doing a 30-day no-alcohol challenge, she said that she was going to do it with me. Mm-hmm. So on the Wednesday, we actually went to a uh, a pool bar, a billiard. You got it. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, and we went there. On the third day, I was I was at a bar and didn't drink anything. I was just there to make sure I don't I don't deprive myself of any experience that. I can actually truly believe that not drinking can be fun. And then on Friday night, we went out, we went to a restaurant. And <laughs> the nice thing is that uh, you can go eat out much more often when you don't drink because it costs like half of what it used to cost you. So, so yeah, choosing has been key for me. This is actually something that I'm, I'm, I love psychology. I love everything that has to do with neuroscience. So I decided to go see a hypnotherapist. And that's what basically he told me that he said, like, you don't have to shower. You, you don't have to shower. You choose to shower because you decided that it's more beneficial than costly. So, so the reason why he was telling me that and then he said, you don't have to live. That's why people commit suicide. That's that, and then that reframed, that reframed my, my perspective, my thinking a lot. Because if that's true, then, I mean, I don't recommend it to anyone, obviously. But um, if that's true, then you definitely choose everything. You definitely choose if you're going to drink. If you're not going to drink, you don't have to go to the meeting if you if you go to the meeting, that's probably because you decided that it was beneficial for you. You you you're choosing. The fact that you choose stuff is really really uh, releasing for me. Like you you don't feel the pressure. You don't you don't have to. Just that little switch in words has been so key for me. What what do you think about that? I like it. And with the, with the shower analogy, I might be rethinking my morning routine. I was only the impression that I have to shower. Um, no, but it makes, it makes a lot of sense is when we choose to do something, we don't feel handcuffed. Um, you, you know, and to comment on what you said earlier, I love the fact that, uh, you know, everybody's time frame is different. We need to start building those emotional sobriety muscles. And I do recommend going out with somebody that has your back, maybe not a pool bar your first week, but going to right. a pool Chicago's or a restaurant. Um, that they have alcohol in the background because saying, Hey, I'm going to go sober for 30 days, but I'm not going to leave my man cave. Cause I've got microwave pizzas and Xbox. That's great. <laughs> you went sober for 30 days, but you didn't really put yourself in an environment where there's alcohol. And as far as I'm concerned, there's not a place on planet earth where that exists, um, yeah. in, in a large scale. And, you know, as far as the choice it, uh, there, there's also a time when I didn't have a choice where I was physically addicted to alcohol and that's where it gets difficult. And I feel like a lot of people listening to this podcast, some of them have reached that point. Some of them haven't, but it's good to make that choice before you get, or you find yourself into a scenario where I don't have a choice right now. I'm physically, I will physically have withdrawal symptoms if I don't drink. Um, so I love what you said about, yeah, you, you have to choose this. And that, again, that's a big theme of this podcast is this has to be chosen for yourself. Um, you know, eventually you'll come to a time where like society will, through incarceration, 
we'll, we'll, we'll try to make you choose it for you. But yeah, like James Swanwick, like he's, he's getting people well before they listen to the recovery elevator podcast. We want to make that choice earlier rather than later. Um, yeah, I love it. And in the first 30 days so far, have you had any, had any cravings? Have you had any challenges and how have you overcome them? It's been fairly easy. I mean, I tried to, I tried to keep doing my little routine of like preventing before it actually happens. So I keep listening to the podcast. I've listened to the naked mind. I've tried to keep listening to YouTube videos. Uh, I still have this notification on my phone. Uh, that reminds me how grateful I am and how much energy I have and opportunities and all those things. So I try to do uh, some maintenance work on on the things that I've built so far. As far as cravings, like I said, I haven't had any. My my toughest moment, to be honest, was around day 18, I think, 18 or 19, uh, 19. and I woke up feeling depressed, woke up super super negative and then i realized i just had a relapse <laughs> a relapse dream mm. um but in the dream i didn't actually drink i was just holding a uh, a glass half full so um i pretended that i mean i guessed that i drank in my dream and i went straight to the bathroom and uh, puke Wow! Like my my thinking in my dream was I gotta get this poison out of my body. So that shows how strong the rewiring of my brain actually was. But still, in that morning, I didn't feel too good. One of the things that I did in that morning is that I reached out to the Cafe Ari community. I I told that story and got a lot of support right away. Mm -hmm. And within an hour, I was grateful again. I was smiling again. I was positive again. So um, just talking about it helped me a lot. I mean, I think cravings are are normal, totally normal. So sometimes for people, just talking about them makes them go away. I interviewed another person from Canada this morning that said the exact same thing. And I want to comment <laughs> what you just said, that cravings are normal. If you get them at six months, a month, or a year, don't beat yourself up. Cravings are just normal. But like you said, and the gentleman said earlier, is like before the conversation is even over, you can get to the point and say, hey, I'm having a craving. Just talking about it makes it better. And I want to comment on the reminder that you have a 10 a.m. on your phone every day. This is what leveraging technology looks like. And that reminded me of a, of a gentleman named Cameron from Missoula, Montana, that I interviewed in episode 50. That's 5-0, almost over three years ago. He used his MacBook Pro, and he recorded like a 30-minute affirmation of his own voice. And when he was getting ready in the morning, he would play that while he's in the shower, was getting dressed, right. ready to go for work. And he did this for like the first six months. And Cameron dropped me a line, I think, a couple months ago. And I, as far as I know, he's He's over three years sober. I don't know if uh, if Cameron, if you're listening, uh, let me know where you're at. But way to <laughs> leverage technology, and Jeff, way to leverage technology. And Jeff, you're in your first thirty days, or no, you're out of your thirty days. But what's the plan moving forward? I know there's only thirty more days that you're looking at, one day at a time type stuff. But what's your plan in in sobriety moving forward? And what would you like to accomplish in this life without alcohol? Right. Well, I got a lot of ambitions. I'm I'm an entrepreneur at core, so. I, I mean, I got so many business ideas that I want to develop, build teams, build a life by design, eventually become a speaker, travel the world, 
build businesses, help others, uh, all those things. I mean, eventually also I would, I would love to share my story of how I did it. And because in Quebec, I don't see anybody's doing that. Uh, so I would, I would love to help other people quit alcohol and quit, quit drugs, uh, in the French market. These are just some of the things. I mean, I love, like I said, I love traveling. I love doing sports. So for me, the biggest thing that sobriety, uh, allows me to do is just to have the energy and emotional intelligence and awareness to, uh, really reach my full potential to, to be able to, to build all those businesses, handle the ups and downs of entrepreneurships. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much what a, a sober life looks, for me, looks like for me. And Jeff, what have you learned about yourself in the past 30 days? Oh, a lot. A lot. I went back to, whew, that's, that's a good question. I've learned, first of all, that I don't, I don't need it. And the, I think the most important lesson is that being vulnerable is actually being courageous. Uh, that's, that, that was the, my biggest thing because, like I said, I'm 6'5". I'm a big guy. I've tried to act tough in the past. And now I've realized that actually reaching out uh, and ask for help, uh, whether it be my friends, the community, uh, my girlfriend, parents, uh, I think this is... This is what true courage is about. So that was that was the big thing for me to actually be humble and vulnerable enough to uh, to make those those uh, those moves and ha um, have those conversations with people. Jeff, I got to bring up another past interviewee, and before <laughs> I even hit record, you reminded me of him. And this gentleman named James Cardamone, he attended the Recovery Elevator Retreat in Peru. He's episode sixty-six. He's just uh, he's got three years of sobriety coming up, and he wants to do his own recovery coaching. But he said something similar. He's six four, and he real and he just kind of realized that he doesn't have to be the biggest man in the room, and he can ask for help. And being vulnerable is actually a, a, a form. It's empowering, and it's crazy. You guys are both former athletes. Uh, you guys would get along perfectly. But and he just said the same thing. It's so cool to see that. And, and, uh, and Jeff, we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Absolutely. All right, let's do this. Number one, what was your worst memory from drinking? I don't have one specific memory. I think just the fact of waking up so often in the morning, realizing that I could have lost everything because I was drunk and, and drove, uh, that feeling of, of, um, yeah, that feeling of just waking up, feeling depressed and thinking that you could have lost everything. You could have ended up in jail and I just can't afford to do that. So, yeah. Gotcha. And actually, before I ask number two, there was a question that I scribbled on my notepad that I haven't quite explored yet, especially with the recent law passing in Canada. They, they guys just swept the whole country with marijuana. Like it's totally legal. right. And I think it is more of an issue with people than we actually talk about. But there were people out there that struggled with both the marijuana and the alcohol, and, and they both had to go. Sometimes only one had to go. Comment a little bit more about that. I think that using one or the other was draining me of my willpower, of my energy, and eventually I would go back to the other one. So for me, that was the relationship between the two. 
my drug of choice was was smoking weed so it was i wouldn't say harder actually both both were about the same it took me a lot longer to actually uh quit smoking weed because it's just uh how i grew up how i was able to i mean i went to a university i've <laughs> i passed finals high uh i've worked for a corporation i've worked like pretty good jobs when being completely high so the thing for me it was it was harder because it was it was a morning thing it was a, a mid afternoon thing it was a night thing it was a all day long thing but as far as one being worse than the other i think both of them are poison i don't i don't think it's it's any good for the brain uh, I think weed uh, steals all your all your motivation, and alcohol uh, steals all your energy. Gotcha. Yeah. I I really like your answer, and I I think in the two hundreds, maybe two tens, <clears throat> I'm going to be addressing um, the relationship with with alcohol and marijuana. And um, I've had a lot of people ask, uh, you know, hey, I quit drinking, but I occasionally smoke marijuana. What are your thoughts on that? So. Um, yeah, I plan addressing that in the next next couple months. Uh, mm-hmm. Question two, back on track, Jeff. We've all heard of the aha moment. When was your oh shit moment indicating that you need to stop drinking? Actually, my oh shit moment was on my first day of sobriety. When I, when I recorded that video of all the reasons why I wanted to quit and I realized all the opportunities, all the relationships, all the, the experience that I missed out on by uh having those negative habits in my life and so yeah that was my big aha moment that my goal like i said was just to do 30 days and for me to do 30 days i knew i couldn't rely on willpower so i decided to do the video and it opened my eyes to many blind spots uh and made me realize that it was more than something (laughs) like i should do this for more than 30 days that's that that that's basically what I realized. Sure. And what's your plan moving forward? How are you going to get day 31, 32, all the way up to day 60? Mm-hmm. Basically keep doing what I do. I found that when I procrastinate, when I, I uh, use negative thinking, when I self-doubt, uh, when I doubt, doubt myself a lot, that I usually look for, for things to cope with that pain. So controlling those, those um those things help me stay sober and just be grateful, uh, talk about it and yeah, Perfect. focus on, focus on the positive. And what's your favorite resource in recovery? Cafe Ares is really cool. I mean, I like the fact that I can actually put my thoughts, like write my thoughts in the Facebook group, uh, on the forum, uh, forum, um, record videos, get the support. Everybody's is, um, Basically, everybody's got the same goal. YouTube was was a big resource for me too, because basically I found I found out about uh, Cafe Ari. I think day four or day five, something like that. In regards to sobriety, Jeff, what's the best advice you've ever received? Huh? To not to not associate, to not call yourself an alcoholic. For me, it was big. Uh, I didn't want to use that identity. I I prefer to say I'm a sober person with a drinking problem because 
once I identify, once my identity is is a sober person, but I still have a drinking problem, then what does a what does a sober person does? It doesn't drink, it doesn't smoke, it does the right thing, but I still like I, I'm I'm not delusional. I'm still uh, telling myself I'm still understanding that I have this problem. But for me, that that was key. And what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners? Yeah, definitely rewire your your subconscious and and stack resources. Like I use podcasts, I use YouTube, I use uh, a community. In the first week, I did everything. I stacked all those things, uh, positive thinking. I recorded a video. Uh, basically, I, I didn't think I could do it. So that's why I did everything to make sure. I made a bet with with a friend that I would have to give him 100 bucks if I didn't do the 30 days. So so that's why I made sure in the first week to, to do everything I could, stack the resources and it like you can you can really do that quickly if you if you use everything that's available a hundred dollar bet with a friend accountability can take many shapes and forms i love it and before we depart <laughs> jeff give listeners your own customizer you might be an alcoholic if line <laughs> you might be an alcoholic if it's sunday night and you've you've drank 14 beers and you're talking to your mom and she doesn't realize you've drank yeah that sounds about right Thank you so much for joining us, Jeff. Much appreciated. Thanks to you, Paul. Guys, I know it's a ways out, but I want to plant the seed right now. I've got dates reserved for the retreat in Bozeman, Montana, August 14th to August 18th, 2019. And also, if you've ever wanted to visit Thailand or Cambodia or both in the same trip, I'm finalizing an itinerary and dates for January 2020. Thank you for joining me on today's podcast episode. Merry Christmas. Do your best to enjoy the moment. Recovery elevator. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. 